Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready, here, ready, here, ready, here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 Technology Revolution. I have some sad news to share at the top of the show. I'm going to try and hold it together. On Monday, the 15th of November, the world lost Jeffrey Spinard, who was the visionary who founded Voice America World Talk Radio, LLC. He was a friend, a mentor, a tireless innovator. He created a massive radio network, one of the leaders in internet programming. I've been affiliated with Voice America since 2011. And Jeffrey Spinard answered a phone call, a cold call I made to him. And I said, hey, I'd like to create a radio show. We spoke. We started dealing on it. I went back to my managers at SAP and I said, let me start a thought leadership radio show. And they accepted the proposal. That turned into 52 radio series I've created in 11 years for the business channel on Voice America. Jeffrey has been a friend, as I said, a mentor. I was on a memorial call with the staff at Voice America yesterday and everybody was in tears because he changed so many lives for the better. So Jeffrey, I'm wearing a white flower in your honor today instead of my usual red rose, and I know you're seeing it. So thank you, Jeffrey, for the opportunity. Thank you for bringing Voice America to the world. Thank you for being the friend for so many. And I know Aaron Keller, our engineer today, is also indebted to you for your friendship, your kindness, your mentorship, and for meaning so much to all of us. There, I'm going to be a big girl and take a deep breath, and we're going to get the show started. We're also welcoming a sponsor today. We're going to hear about Advanced Risk Machines, talking about their ARM, ARM Viewpoints podcast. So let me get on with the show. We have a fascinating topic. Let me grab a Kleenex here. We're live streaming, and everybody's watching me do this, but that's the way it goes, kids, in real radio. So... Topic today is interesting. We talk about smart cities. Well, what about smarter cities? We've been trying to get smart cities in the world for many, many years, and I decided we're going to talk about the future of smarter cities. We're going to take it from the the baseline of some cities. Many cities say they're smart. Well, how do they get smarter? And that involves people. But how much technology? How much are we? can tech work for us? How can it make us smarter? So let me give you four quick buzz quotes. I have one from Amit Ray, the author of Peace, Bliss, Beauty, and Truth, Living with Positivity. Isn't that a beautiful name for a book? And Amit says, smart cities are the intelligent cities of positivity and happy energy. And Amit hyphenates happy energy. So everybody out there, that's a new word you can use, happy-energy. Not the junkyards of technologies, but cities of diversity, love, life, beauty, dignity, freedom, tolerance, and equality. And all I can say is, Olivai, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? And those of you who know my, my people's language, you understand what that means. Buzz number two is from Edwin Heathcote, who is an English architect, and he is the architecture and design critic of the Financial Times. And he says, listen up, the banning of bullfighting in Catalonia was controversial and hard won, and has now been replaced by the vacuous global consumption of the mall. He says, I'm sure that it's an advance for the bulls, but I'm not sure how well it bodes for the serious business of being a city. So there you go. So bull blank, leave that one alone. Buzz number three is from Jane Jacobs, very well known. Uh, She passed away in 2006, American Canadian journalist, author, theorist, activist, and author of The Death and Life of Great American Cities, which she wrote back in 1961 about urban renewal. And she said, the second mode to deal with unsafe cities is to take refuge in vehicles. This is the technique practiced in the big wild animal reservations of Africa where tourists are warned to leave their cars under no circumstances until they reach a lodge. She said it is also the technique practiced in Los Angeles. Okay, John, you can smile at that one. And now the last quote before I introduce my guest. This is from Ben Painter, P-A-Y-N-T-E-R, Fast Company senior writer covering social impact and other topics. And he wrote, Urbanization has lured more people to bustling metropolises, but precious little thought has been given to what happens when these cities fail. For all the famed cities with thousands of years of continuity, Paris, London, Cairo, Athens, Rome, Istanbul, most cities just stop. 
That's a hard stop, by the way. So I want my panelists to wave when I call your name. Don Deloach is back at Rocket Wagon, Wagon Venture Studios. I still can't say the name of your, your company in one sentence. Don, welcome back. And thank you for inviting the three other esteemed panelists to join us. We have John Robbins at Turner and Townsend. Hello, John. We've got Peter Torellis at Parsons. And we have got Brenna Berman at City Tech. Hi there. And that's not in the order in which they're presenting, but that's the order I put him in my intro. So welcome, everybody. Let's go around the table and get some introductions here. Don, I'm guessing, what do you think? We're up to about 4.2 people in the world who don't remember you. You think it's really that many left? I don't know. You've been on so often. Don, introduce yourself to those 4.2 people. Be nice to them. They'll remember you after this. Go ahead, Don. Welcome back. Sure. Uh, So I've been um, basically an entrepreneur for the last 20 or so years, focused on tech and, and really focused a lot on data. Um, over the last 10 years, I've been really uh, leaning heavily into the Internet of Things and, and what I would characterize more progress from a progression standpoint is cyber physical transformation. And about two years ago, we began work to start Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. And that's really a, a company that's designed to help startups get from the minimum viable product phase to scalable, repeatable commercialization or think of it as the execution phase. And while 90% of startups fail, 70% fail in that second stage. So that's what really what we're, we're doing. It's a team of seasoned entrepreneurs that wrap themselves in an apprenticeship model around, around those companies. So the goal is, and what I'm passionate about, is help, helping startups get to that point. Um, and in particular, relative to today's topic, you know, we apply this from a vertical standpoint and smart cities and the whole idea of everything that that encompasses really speak to doing things that hopefully also help us get to a better world. And there are all kinds of advantages to technology that can lean into that. And I look forward to this conversation. Thank you very much, Don. I appreciate your being here and thanks for the passion. Always happy to talk with you. Brenna Berman, you're next. This is our first time meeting. We met about, what, 14 minutes ago and I'm happy. We did. You were going to be on one of my SAP shows about two years ago and Mm -hmm. something happened. You got very, very busy and couldn't end. I recognized your name right away and I said to Don, I know who she is. I can't wait to talk to her. So Brenna, please do us the honor of introducing yourself. What does the topic have to do with you and what's what's your excitement about it? Brenna, welcome. Thank you. Good morning, Bonnie. And I am happy to finally have made it onto your show after after trying for so long. Um, so I'm Brenna Berman. I am currently the CEO of a collaborative innovation organization called City Tech. We bring di- um, diverse partners from big companies to city governments to community organizations together to co-develop solutions to urban problems that can range from flooding to mobility challenges to to more human problems like homelessness or uh, community well community welfare. Um, I've been working in the space of sort of tech-driven innovation for government and cities for the better part of 20 years. And and it is and continues to be the most exciting topic area that I've ever experienced. Cities are the place where you know, people come together to solve big problems, to build new organizations, um, and and to also really sort of begin to evolve um, who we are as people. And so the the ability to engage with the, you know, development of solutions for that space excites me more than anything I've ever done. Um, and you gave a list of, of cities in that quote about, you know, how cities just stop. And I don't think we want to start disagreeing about that just yet, but none of those cities that he listed have stopped. That was the point, that they haven't. He said for the cities that aren't those cities, other cities have stopped. That was his point. There's actually very few cities in the world that have ceased to exist. Interesting. So Ah. they go through, they go through. Uh, ebbs and flows, but there's very few cities in the world that have fully ceased to exist. Um, Now, there's a number of cities in the world that have yet to exist in terms of how they're tracked or monitored by technology, which is a different question. Um, But I think it's it's exciting that cities are living, breathing things um, with a wealth of partners and projects and challenges to take on. Brenna, we need to get that guy on the show. Can somebody call him right now and tell him we're Ben Painter? We're, we're going to do a rebuttal. I, when I read that quote, Brenna, I brought it in because it was provocative. And yeah, I no, thought, definitely. He said, and other cities stop. What do we do in cities stop? I've never quite heard of that. I know communities change. They morph. They grow, right? They expand. They contract. I lived in Eugene, Oregon in the 19, what was it, 70s and 80s. And I saw it go from a quote-unquote bustling metropolis with three traffic lights in downtown and a big conference center to 
to a city where people said, this is too big. I'm going back to the country where I came from or the countryside. And people said, this is too much traffic for me. Three lights in downtown. Excuse me, Eugene. I love you, but that time has passed. <laughs> so my point is that it, when the lumber industry came to a halt and, and building stopped in, in the early 1980s, I think that was right, uh, people were doing something else. They wanted to go somewhere else. They wanted to be somewhere else. Either it was too big or it was too small. So I've seen cities contract. I couldn't, I couldn't sell my house. Brenna, I had to give it back to the bank. It's called an estoppel deed. You give it back, broom sweep. You say, here is my house. Take it. Forgive me the rest of the mortgage. I'm walking away. I'm moving. And they take it back. That's how bad it was. That's what happened to those cities. Interesting. It's still there, though. Thank you, Brenna. It's still there. I didn't didn't mean to engage so quickly, but that statement exactly was what I wanted it to do, which was to provoke the conversation. Peter Torellis, you have been so patient waiting for me to introduce you. Peter, love to put you on full screen view. Would you kindly introduce yourself? And what's your passion for being here? Peter, welcome. Thank you. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's really great being on the show. Um, I come to you today from Parsons. We've been uh, upgrading uh, critical infrastructure for, for 75 years. Uh, personally, um, about 20 years ago, like, like Brenna, I actually dedicated my life to the intersection of uh, digital and infrastructure. I thought it would be great. Um, I started as a software programmer to be working on stuff that was real. And I got a chance to um, actually work on a train station that I used to ride as a kid uh, in the Bronx in Fordham Road. And, uh, and it changed my life forever. And so for the last almost two decades, I have spent uh, almost every day focused on uh, figuring out how to transform people's lives who live in cities and who use infrastructure from an infrastructure perspective, and for me, that means uh, water, means energy, um, the places that we visit, transportation, and more and more data. Thank you very much. Peter, I have a question for you. <laughs> Do you think we'll ever come up with a shorter word than infrastructure because it's become part of the daily lingo? <laughs> I've been dying to ask that to someone. I think I did a couple weeks ago. We need we need a, an abbreviation. What would it be? Do we, do you have any idea, Peter? What we would call it? Yeah, stuff. That's uh, it. That's it. That's it. Stuff. The stuff that makes cities. The stuff that makes governments. The stuff. I love it. We're going to go with stuff. Peter, we're going to copyright that with your name on it. Infrastructure has now become stuff. Everybody put that on social media. Peter, pleasure to meet you. And now let's go to John Robbins. John, you know how this works. Please introduce yourself and what's your passion for the topic. Welcome. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks. Uh, and great to be here. Um, so I work for a firm, Turner & Townsend. Uh, I'm sure a little bit in common, obviously, with Peter, given uh, both firms are about 75 years old this year. So uh, kind of a long, rich history. Uh, Turner & Townsend provides program, project, and cost management services in the built environment, uh, big real estate developments, infrastructure projects, do a bit of work still in natural resources, but really clean energy uh, is coming to the fore, as, as Don mentioned earlier. Uh, and I've always had a passion for construction, so we're, you know, we're, we're kind of boots on the ground working with our clients, helping them manage through their, um, through their build cycle. Uh, I have responsibility for our USA business, uh, so I get to see a lot of the great cities around the country, uh, do a bit of travel, not as much as I used to. Bonnie, you and I <laughs> chatted about that in the beginning. I think we've learned to live in the virtual world uh, or find a better balance, although today I find myself in, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, for some meetings, uh, but New York is usually home. Um, Peter, like you, I I was inspired uh, also as a young boy. Uh, A bit more simplistically, though, when my uncle, who was a contractor, put a shovel in my hand and uh, told me how to dig a ditch, literally, uh, on a project he was working on. Uh, And really, from that moment on, I was probably seven or eight years old. I've always had a passion for construction. Um, You know, became an engineer, uh, worked in the engineering field for a while on real estate and infrastructure projects, but then made my way more to the uh, project management side of the world. Um, This is a really important topic for me today uh, because... There's no surprise that construction probably still lags behind many other industries when it comes to application of technology, uh, good data, as you mentioned, Peter. Uh, and I'm passionate about you know upping our game in that area. Uh, and it's great to see even if there's any silver lining in all what we've been through the past couple of years with the pandemic, uh, we have seen better adoption of some technology, especially emerging technologies in the construction industry. So looking forward to talking about that today with the rest of the group. Thank you very much. Everybody raise your hand. How many are originally from New York? Okay. All right. right. 
Okay. You you can't tell from my accent because I don't think I have one, but the speed at which I talk, Brenna, when I get excited, I think that gets... Oh, no. My problem is I'm a Red Sox fan, so oh. this is just not a good fit for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, stick around. We only have 45 minutes left. You're going to stay with me. Okay, that's good. Thank you very much. Let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my guest to send me a quote, a fictional quote from a character in a movie, TV show, or a song lyric, and it has nothing to do literally on the topic we're talking about today, smarter cities, people plus how much technology, question mark, and they're going to relate the quote to the topic in their own words. So Don Deloach, let's start out with you. You sent a quote from a song, Waiting on the World to Change, song by American singer-songwriter John Mayer, of course, John Mayer. Haven't heard his name in a long time. It's from his third studio album titled Continuum from 2006, and the song won the Grammy for Best male pop vocal performance at the 49th Grammys. So there, and here's the lyric Donna selected. It's hard to beat the system when we're standing at a distance. So we keep waiting on, waiting, waiting on the world to change. Donna, I hope I did that justice. Talk to me, how'd you pick this one? Um, Well, first, parenthetically, I don't really listen to John Mayer much anymore, except for with Dead & Co, which is pretty much the only thing I listen to. So I really am a big fan of, of him as an artist, but um, less so from the earlier stuff. But all that said, this quote, I mean, it makes me think of just watching this, this constant, yeah, we've got to invest in infrastructure. We've got to invest in infrastructure. And we wait and we wait and we wait. And it's like, there's all this McKinsey and Bain and really good research that would suggest that unless you're completely asleep at the wheel, this type of an investment will pay back in spades. But yet we play the short game all the time. And and it's like, my God, why don't we maybe think a little ahead, play a longer game and do the right thing for our country like we see other countries doing as well. So this is it's almost frustration on my part as I look at how this is happening, although I'm very encouraged right now. Well, frustration is a good thing and encouragement is a good thing. And the two go together. That means we've got a positive direction and there's an imp- something is propelling us forward. So, Don, thank you for that. I loved your comments about John Mayer. <laughs> we'll just leave that alone. John, if you're watching, Don still likes you. He said he does. Okay, Brenna Berman has sent us a quote. Oh, a famous quote from mm-hmm. stated by Dorothy Gale, played by Judy Garland, to Toto, her dog. And I don't think Toto got enough credit, Brenna. So, played by Terry, who lived from 1933 to 1945, a female Cairn Terrier owned and trained by Carl Spitz. The movie, of course, is The Wizard of Oz, 1939 American musical fantasy film. It's often seen as one of the greatest films of all time, the most commercially successful adaptation of L. Frank Baum's 1900, can you believe we're still talking about it, children's fantasy novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. I don't know if you knew this, Brenna, but it was directed by Victor Fleming, who left the production to take over Gone with the Wind, which wasn't doing so well. Very, Mm -hmm. very interesting background. Uh, Here's the quote. Everybody knows this all together now. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Brenna, what does this have to do with our topic? Regale us, Dorothy. Yes, well, well, one, you are absolutely right that Toto was the center of that movie because if you realize the entire plot moved along when he took off. Like there's there's eight or nine points where the plot moves because he runs away and Dorothy has to chase him. So it's all about the dog. Um, no, so I chose that quote for, for two reasons. One, as you pointed out, right, that movie was a, an innovation leap forward in filmmaking, right? The, the going from black and white to color in the same film. And so I think it is a good allegory to the amount of innovation we're seeing in cities today and the ability that technology can give us to leapfrog challenges. Um, and The Wizard of Oz is a great example of that. The, the other one is, I think, sort of a, a little more tongue in cheek and obvious, but but we aren't in Kansas anymore. Even Kansas isn't in Kansas anymore. Um, cities are not what they were even five years ago. And the rate of change is so fast in all aspects of our life that that is no different for the infrastructure in cities, for the organizations that run them or those of us that live in them. So we are definitely not in Kansas anymore. Thank you very much. And let me go to Peter. You're up next. Let me go pull up your quote here. I've got this in the wrong order in my notes and I will find it. Here we go. Peter sent us a quote. Oh, beautiful. Dr. Sean McGuire played by Robin Williams. Damn, he left us way too soon. The movie Goodwill Hunting, 1997 psychological drama film. 
And uh, let's see, who was in it? Matt Damon, Robin Williams, Ben Affleck, Minnie Driver. I didn't remember she was in it in Stellan Skarsgård. And Dr. Sean McGuire is the deuterogonist or rogenist. I didn't even know that in Goodwill Hunting. He's the court-ordered therapist of the troubled math genius and orphan Will Hunting. McGuire tries to break through the young man's defenses and help him overcome his childhood trauma. The role of a good therapist. Here's the quote. People call these things imperfections, but they're not. That's the good stuff. And then you get to choose who we let into our weird little worlds. Oh, Peter, this is interesting. Talk to me. How'd you find this one? Uh, it found me. Um, but I, I think uh, what what helped it come to mind and its relationship to what we're talking about today is... Um, my personal experience has been that that being a human being is is hard um and it's wonderful but can be can be challenging and that's part of the great experience um and and doing work in cities doing work in local governments doing work at massive scale that affects millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people is is hard work you know it's it's about going to the DMV every day as a walk-in and loving it. Um, and so you have to be called to do this hard work to transform the real um, and, and, to, and to have that impact to society. And, you know, I think that the trillion dollars in funding is exciting. I think the call for climate action is exciting. I think the, the cyber-physical challenges are, are extremely exciting. Um, but it's, it'll be some, some tough sledding. Uh, and, uh, and, and there's a lot of humanity in that change in that change management that is core to the transformation uh, that is ahead of us, uh, in, in smart cities and making them smarter. Thank you very, very much, Peter. Very interesting. Yes, that was very introspective. I appreciate that. John Robbins, interesting quote he picked. I did a lot of research on this. You the did. quote was never said. John, I think he appreciated it. It took me hours to find this stuff. The quote is from the TV series Star Trek, said by Captain James T. Kirk, played by the one and only William Shatner, who really ma recently made it to space. Oh my goodness, that was fun to watch. To Chief Engineer Montgomery Scotty Scott. Now, the phrase that John has picked is beam me up Scotty, but in truth, it was never said. It's a catchphrase. It was, it's a near miss, and it's actually the name of the bio, the biography of the actor James Doohan, who played Scotty, and it was misstated. So here are the, the versions that actually were said. Uh, Scotty, beam us up, beam me up. Mr. Scott, beam us up. Scotty, beam me up and beam them out of there, Scotty. But we're going to go with beam me up, Scotty, because it's close enough and it's iconic. So... John, forgive me for all the research, but I thought it was a blast finding out that it was never really said ever in the movie, the TV show, never, but that's how we call it. So beat me up, Scotty. What does this have to do with our topic today? John Robbins, you're up. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. When you, uh, when you sent me the research, I was devastated at first um, because I can remember as a kid, I had uh, two, two younger brothers. We're all really close in age, and uh, we loved that, you know, the original series of Star Trek. And we would have our toy phones or even, you know, little cardboard boxes, and, you know, we would, uh, we would role play uh, from, from the show and had our little devices to, uh, you know, call Scotty and beam each other up. And we always said, beam me up, Scotty, whoever was playing uh, the part of Captain Kirk uh, versus Scotty. So it just stuck in my head. So I guess I take some consolation that, uh, that Doohan uh, used it as the title of his biography. Uh, so, um, but anyway, I just, uh, I thought of it obviously with the, with the record-breaking uh, space journey that our friend William Shatner uh, just made not too long ago at uh, what, 90 or 91 years old? Yes. Something like that. Um, I don't want to put more years on him than he 90, is. 90, 90. Pretty amazing, 90. Yeah, pretty amazing. Um, and here we are today, all connected in uh, virtually uh, with great high definition quality audio and video. And, you know, our signals are bouncing all over the Internet and satellites and however, you know, we're transmitting out to the big wide world. Uh, and who would ever thought, you know, decades ago that would have been possible. Um, I thought of the show Get Smart and talking into a watch or a shoe phone. And, you know, now we have a watch we can talk into. So I thought it was apropos that some of those technologies that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, seemed total science fiction are here and now. Uh, and I'm so excited about, you know, what's yet to come in the next 5, 10, 15 years. 
You remember the Dick Tracy watch? I sure do. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I had one of those. I had a toy Dick Tracy watch. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I, I heard about it. Oh, that's all I'll admit to. Uh, the Jetsons, right? L- yeah. Look at where travel has gone. Look at the things that have come to pass that were just an amusing figment of somebody's imagination in a movie, in a cartoon. And here we are. Okay, we'll leave it at that. We're going to hear from our sponsor now. Aaron has the roll in ready to go. So Aaron, everybody, just smile. There's no visual for this. Aaron, let it roll. I'm Jeff Wheelwright tech journalist and host of the RM Viewpoints podcast. I've been documenting the evolution of the computer industry since the birth of the PC. Having witnessed the mobile revolution firsthand, it's my pleasure to be working with ARM, the company whose technology sparked it all. We bring you the latest stories from the center of the tech world. In recent episodes, I've had fascinating conversations with executives, engineers, industry experts, and futurists from both inside and outside of ARM. We've covered topics from AI, data security, software-defined vehicles, robotics, and cybercrime to the promise of 5G and the future of healthcare. And we're just getting started. Join me as we speak with an ever-expanding roster of the people at the heart of technology as we explore the evolving world of computing. Download and subscribe to Arm Viewpoints at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts that arm we appreciate you being a sponsor this is the third time you've been on the show we're looking forward to a lot more and that was a beautifully done Roland, wasn't i love the little twinkly music in the background don i need twinkly music during the back what do you think should we add twinkly music to the show when everybody talks Ooh, i'd like it when i speak if nothing else please <laughs> He's so gracious. Now we're going, thank you, Aaron, for the role. And now we're going to go to our predictions. This is a lightning round. I'm going to pick a prediction from each of my panelists. I've already put your first first round into the chat for each of you. If you have something to say about somebody else's prediction and conversation is welcome, uh, just raise your hand, wiggle your finger at me, Bonnie, Bonnie, call me, call me. And I will just take three minutes, two to three minutes on each of your predictions. And let's get this party started. So Don DeLoach says the following, the emergence of, oh, speaking of which, electric vehicles and the electrification of our infrastructure. Peter, we're calling that stuff. The electrification of our stuff will begin to increase at a dramatic pace. Don, you're up. Talk to us. Prediction number one. Yeah. So let me start by by grading my own prediction as being tantamount to me saying uh, it's incredibly cloudy outside. I'm seeing lightning. My prediction is it's going to rain. This is not this is not insightful at all in many ways. But here's the thing. So what we're seeing is this convergence of people more and more understanding that climate change is not a hoax. It's very real. Every industry, insurance, automakers, construction, every body, every company, every industry is starting to figure this out. And then the, the artifacts of that are, are, among other things, the automakers, um, you, you know, whether it's the, the new one, the Rivians or the Arrivals or the Teslas or Ford or Navistar or Mercedes or BMW or Jaguar Land Rover, all have strategies that are range from hyper aggressive to aggressive in terms of a move towards electric vehicles. And it really doesn't even stop there. If you, if you, if you think about it, um, there are electric trains, there are electric airplanes, there are, the electrification is happening. And, and one of the things that you're seeing is as people, as, the, as certainly in the United States, as we begin to see more and more emphasis on upgrading the infrastructure, that's converging in directly with the, the movement towards electric vehicles. And so I think that what we will see from this point forward is a continuation of that trend, only it's going to start to take a dramatic upturn in terms of the pace at which it uh, moves forward. Thank you very much. Anybody have any comments on what? Yeah, John, go ahead. Yeah, Don, really interesting. Uh, I was on a call yesterday with uh, one of our natural resources uh, folks who works in the mining and metals industry uh, on mine closures, uh, believe it or not, you know, proper environmental Mm -hmm. closure of mines. But interestingly, what he shared with the group was that, uh, to your point on electrification and, um, you know, battery technology and battery manufacturing, there actually will be more copper mined in the next decade or less than there has been in the past 200 years, which I found staggering. Now, I haven't fact-checked him on that, but he uh, he said it with authority. Uh, but uh, it seems like it would hold true when we see what's going on out there. And to your, to your prediction, um, 
uh, it, uh, it feels right to me. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, within the mining industry, you know, something that we're trying to get away from to some degree uh, and do orderly closures of mine, that for that, for that product, for copper, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to do more of it, but in a much more responsible way. Thank right. you very much. Okay, Brenda, anything you want to comment on that? Or you're just smiling. She's just smiling. Okay, we like smiling here. Brenna Berman, you're up next. Prediction number one. I don't even know how to pronounce this word. Is it green rice? It's a ty- no, it was a typo. Green cities. <laughs> it was, oh, it, it was a typo. She sent me, it looks like green rights, and I struggled for what in the world is she telling you? So let me change that. Green cities will become greener through policy, technology, behavioral change, allowing people to live better while improving the environment. And I want to say, heck yes. Brenna, talk to us. Yeah. No, I think there's there's a couple things in this. So it's obviously a, a quote that or a prediction that is is closely adjacent to to Don's, because um, I think we're all seeing those same trends. Um, but it's it's more than a, a technology change, and it's going to be driven by more than the emergency we're facing by climate change. It's also going to be driven by the expectation of younger generations that every product they buy, every service they engage in, actually is associated to a triple bottom line. Right. It's not enough to, you know, provide really good cell phones anymore. Right. They're not going to buy them if they don't also have the smallest possible footprint in the production of that cell phone. Um, So when I when I list out those three things that that we're going to see a faster greening of cities through technology, but the policy and the behaviors or people are what is actually going to drive the scaling of that change as quickly as as I think it's going to happen. Thank you very much. Good prediction. Anybody have anything they want to say about green? I like green rights. I thought that was a really cool word. Brenna, we could just well, copyright that. What do you think? Yep. There's definitely there's definitely an element of environmental justice in all of this, right? The cities that or the parts of cities that are struggling the most with their environmental impact are almost always, right, the the frankly poorest parts of those cities. So um, I certainly didn't mean it when I made the typo, but I don't think that you can get away from the drive for environmental justice that is also behind the greening of our cities. Thank you very much. Peter Torellis, I'm looking at prediction number one, data ethics. Oh, my. I haven't covered data ethics in years on this show. We might have to bring back a whole topic on that. Data ethics will be more important than streetscaping in urban planning. Peter, please unpack this. Take your time. Um, Yeah. So the two-minute version is uh, uh, data, when we talk about stuff, um, I think people uh, have, are familiar with the transportation stuff and the, and the electricity stuff and the water stuff that provides the connective tissue for us, um, even the social stuff like education and healthcare. Uh, but the information that is produced, the exhaust data, if you will, uh, that is released uh, from all of those uh, things is in it of itself uh, a new asset class. It trades, it's brokered, um, it, it's monetized, and and as its own thing, um, it will have its own governance. Um, there are things around privacy. There are things around ownership. There, there is a bunch of different topics that we need to deal with collectively as a society, and they will have material impact to our moment-to-moment, second-to-second uh, experience um, and our user experience in, in urban and suburban settings. Um, and, I, and I believe globally. So the idea of, you know, what, what is an ethical use of that uh, asset, just like we would, uh, you know, try to come together on food safety or, or, or medication, um, th- that same idea is, is going to be around data. And, you know, whether, whether you're a Jane Jacobs or a Robert Moses kind of person uh, being here in New York, um, it doesn't really matter uh, because that topic around data will have and has risen and will continue to rise to the same level of importance and the same and have the same long-term implications that those original urban planners now have in the lives that we live every day physically. Thank you very hey, much. And go I ahead, can Brian. add one quick thing. Peter yeah. is, is putting his finger on something that's actually driving a change in the role that city governments play as well in this evolution, right? Most city governments were founded at least in part to to protect and preserve the peace, right? Whether that was health and safety or commercial safety. Um, and you are seeing the role of city government from a public safety perspective evolve to include the protection of the data 
that is coming from their residents, coming from their infrastructure, et cetera. So it is creating this new role for city governments to play as well around all the topics Peter just outlined. Thank you very much. John, you want to say something on that? Nope. Nope. Okay. Well, John, you're poised for your prediction next. I'm picking your prediction number one. This is interesting. You captioned this metaverse slash digital twins. Let me read. With the milestone announcements from formerly Facebook and Microsoft that the businesses will pivot to the virtual metaverse, industries like construction will realize the dream of collaborating in virtual environments to plan, design, sequence, build, test, and commission new assets before a single shovel in the ground. Somebody was talking about a shovel in childhood there. Uh, go, go ahead. <laughs> there you go. Now it's your chance. Talk to us. Uh, and I, I really don't use a shovel anymore. So, um, you know, those days are long gone for me. But uh, yeah, this has been an interesting topic. I think fits, uh, you know, quite nicely with uh, uh, the um, the predictions of, of our other three panelists. Um, the thing I think we're finding, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, as maybe a, a bit of a silver lining coming through the pandemic, is finally in the construction industry in particular, we are making much better use of technology, uh, really looking at how do you create that digital twin, how do you build a building uh, in, in, in virtual reality prior to a shovel in the ground or uh, ordering that first piece of steel um, or, or ordering lumber. Uh, and I think what we're seeing is really the convergence now of so many great technologies that are out there, Bonnie, that um, really can be applied within the construction industry. Uh, and I don't think we're far from the day of, you know, we'll all put on a you know, pair of glasses, an Oculus or something, and we'll literally tour a building together um, and feel as if we're in that building. We'll be looking at, um, we'll be looking at conflicts in, in the building design between structure and uh, and stuff infrastructure, um, uh, pipes and ducts and things of that nature. And we'll be able to see all of that in a very different way than uh, there's great, great tools there now, uh, use of build, building information modeling and CAD and things of that nature. But to be able to think that in a virtual or augmented reality way, you can walk through a building while it's under construction at each phase at any point in time, uh, it does feel like we're getting you know closer and closer to that day. Probably all the bits and pieces of technology do exist now. It's really just getting them pulled together uh, in a more organized way. Um, and I do think, uh, really, running back to your point, if we really do want to build greener, uh, and what you captioned at the beginning, Bonnie, smarter cities, uh, we're, we're going to we're just on the cusp of some great tools that engineers, architects, planners, designers, urban planners will be able to use uh, to, to really up our game uh, before we spend millions and billions actually building buildings, building assets, building infrastructure. Thank you. Back to that word, Peter. I think we got to go with stuff. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I have, have a question for you, John. Yeah. When will the day come when people in, shall we say, Communities, I'm in a neighborhood in Durham, North Carolina, will not have to worry about shoddy construction, about mm. shoddy materials, when homes that are two years old will not have to do a complete roof mm. replacement, when somebody like me will be able to get fiber optic service to my house and not be told we put the lines in two blocks away, but it's not cost effective to bring it to your house. And if you want fiber optics, you can move to an office building, pay one to $2,000 a month for an office will charge you $400 a month and we'll be happy to give you fiber optics, but we ain't bringing it to your neighborhood lady, even though the it started two blocks away, but we're not doing anything now. When will we get past that lower level? And Brenna, I still consider Durham a city. It's booming. They're, they're eating up mm -hmm. all the farmland here up on Leesville yep. Road. Everybody's selling and buying. We have traffic unbelievable starting at three o'clock on, on uh, route, whatever, Route 70, Glenwood Avenue. We have malls that are, well, before pandemic, Packed. We've got so many buildings going up, the trees are disappearing. This mm. is becoming a booming city. And yet you have a house that needs a roof replaced in, in two years. And you have creaky walls. And you've got complaints of people. And you've got bad stuff put in your house. It's like, what? And we're not talking very low level uh, housing prices here. We're talking mid to high prices. So I'm hoping that all of this wonderful news we're talking about, all of these innovations will trickle down to people who are everyday people who buy homes in cities and want to live well. Anybody have a comment about that? I'm not really complaining. I'm just venting a little bit. Anybody have a comment? Because I'm ready to go to round two. Anybody? Oh, I'm just going to vent alone here. Okay. No, one no, vent. I wish, I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll vent with you. I wish you all had that crystal ball. I do think we're making, you know, strides uh, to get to the right place, Bonnie. I think, you know, design for manufacture, some other t techniques that are out there, which we're starting to see more use of. 
uh, to do better quality control. Um, many of the points you just mentioned that you don't need your roof replaced in two years or systems replaced in buildings. Uh, we're, we're getting there. Uh, it's far too slow, though. Don, you mentioned uh, at the at the very beginning. Uh, you know, we've we've just been great procrastinators around infrastructure and so many other things. Obviously, we've taken some great steps in the past weeks, um, in just this past week. Uh, but now we have to put plans to action. We've done enough talking. We've done enough, you know, planning. Now it's time to really put things into action. Uh, but I do think it's going to take a while, Bonnie, till uh, we fix all those issues that are out there. Uh, and we even coordinate. Uh, you know, the departments of work, you know, they pave a nice new street and three weeks later it gets dug up because someone forgot to put the gas line in. Uh, you know, there's just there's just uh, so many things to go after for sure. Yes. Thank you very much. That's a double vente then. There we go. Yeah. Thank you, John. I appreciate that. <laughs> Brenda liked that. Okay. Round two of predictions. We have time to squeeze in one more from each, maybe more. Let's make this two-minute explanations here at Don Deloach. Prediction number two, AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning, will become table stakes for all building management solutions resulting in more energy efficient and better efficiency and better living and working environments. Don, two minutes. Talk, please. Well, this is a good bridge from what we were just talking about in terms of um, it's not all new builds, although, you know, things like BIM systems and some of the, the newer technology and the, and the data that comes from that will, will make the newer buildings better and easier in terms of the data signature. But, but unless we have $500 billion to create a city of the future like the NEOM project, we're going to have to deal with the existing infrastructure as well. And from a building standpoint, you've got all these systems that are more and more instrumented. So the HVAC, the lighting, the occupancy, the water flows, the electricity, the, the building system, the building automation systems that we're seeing are more and more going to be capable of grabbing data off of all of those. Also then coalescing that with um, enterprise data, like the income coming into the building, the expenses, the maintenance, the parts, the inventory, and then the smart ones will contextualize that against external factors like weather, people, air quality, energy supply. And the goal of all that are, is really autonomous buildings, buildings that are capable of adapting to circumstances to create energy savings, to create healthier living, to create more productive use of the buildings and greater comfort and productivity of the occupants. That's going to be a function of getting the underlying data signature uh, appropriately uh, created and curated, and then applying the right AI and machine learning models to reach that truly adaptive uh, set of capabilities. And I think we're moving in that direction. Thank you very much. Anybody have any comments on what Don said? Ready to move on? Okay, Brenna, I'm looking at your prediction now. Let's see, what have I picked here? I picked number four. This is interesting. You talk about decentralization of cities. Ah, city design and development will move away from a central business district with a focus on, I love this, 15-minute neighborhoods where people work, learn, and play. Mm -hmm. Is that far enough away? Is that close enough? Brenna, what do you see? Yep. So we were seeing this trend um, more in Europe than certainly in North America, even before the pandemic, right? Many North American cities still have a strong central business district and people live in neighborhoods or suburbs outside and commute into the middle, um, right? The, the pandemic and the ability to work remotely um, and to focus more of your spare time on your quality of life has upended that. So before the pandemic, we were seeing this with the, um, the Megablocks project in Barcelona, which is a... a full-scale city planning project to sort of reorganize Barcelona um, around so that basically in a 10 square block area, you live, work, and play in that area. Your kids go to school there. So um, you're, you're, they're trying to create basically the walkable city within a larger city where public transit or, or vehicle transit would have been required to go from point A to point B before. Um, and I think you're seeing the beginnings of that in, in the U.S., both in how cities are evaluated for their walkability, right? For many people, that's a key aspect of, of where you choose to, to buy your home and raise your children. Um, but you're also seeing it in the transition of existing infrastructure that was built for one purpose mm -hmm. that's now serving another purpose to bring services closer to where people live and in a safer way. So, so two big examples of that are, you know, our roads are now restaurants, um, and, and some of those are actually not just outside of where the traditional bricks and mortar restaurant was. Some of those are entire pop-ups in neighborhoods where there wasn't a restaurant before, right? So you're bringing that service closer to the community and those people are, be, are able to access 
that sort of entertainment, et cetera, without moving beyond. Um, the other one is, is, and this is a big open question, but how we are going to repurpose um, whatever amount of office space goes unused as the sort of work from home migration settles. Um, I don't think we know yet if that's going to be 50%, 30%, 20%, um, but it's going to be something and we're going to need to figure out how to utilize that space. And that's another opportunity to restructure that kind of close neighborhood life. Thank you very much. In my community, Brenna, walking is fine. Biking is fine, but it's also a golf cart community. And you should see when they have the yeah. little parades, everybody decorates with holiday decorations, <laughs> with flags. They had a Memorial Day parade. There'll be a Veterans Day parade. Very, very interesting. And of course, the Mustangs with the convertibles and the Corvettes and the motorcycles. We're a big parade community. We'll leave that one alone. Let's go to Peter. I'm looking at prediction number two. You say exhaust data. And I want you to explain that will generate code, creating a feedback loop with more potential than machine learning alone. This will shape the movement of people, goods, energy, and water. Stuff plus people. Peter, talk to me. Uh, thanks, Bonnie. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's uh, let's let's dream about a future uh, for thirty seconds. Um, in this future, uh, all of our cars drive themselves. And um, as they're driving around, they learn how to drive better. And they all teach each other how to drive better. So every driver of every car in the United States, that would be 250 million vehicles, is learning in real time in aggregate. That is an incredible amount of information. Let's call that information exhaust data. So that'll help you with the first word. Thank you. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll slightly uh, go back to John. So let's hold that idea like in a little idea parking lot. We'll, we'll go back to John. John talked about uh, digital twins and, uh, and Don talked about digital twins for, for, for buildings and autonomous buildings. Um, a digital twin, you can think of it as a, a mathematical expression of reality, right? So we take stuff that's happening and we mathematically express it. And so we're using reality to then create something digital where we can do simulations, right? Um, what if scenarios and the video game stuff and the cool 3D, 4D rendering. Um, so we, we are taking nothing and then developing something digital. So in that scenario, we're at the beginning of a journey. If that digital thing is then producing exhaust data, that data will then produce the next thing. So in that scenario, now bringing our car story back into our, our mental picture, if 250 million cars are producing data about how cars are used and how they are used towards each other, they could very well create their own models that could generate code that could write new software to make them run better. There is no real reason why the exhaust data can't start then generating and writing software. We're not that far away from the other side of that portal um, in terms of where we are technologically, where we're now writing code and that code is generating data. There's a world where, the, where, that, where that script gets flipped. And that is in the future, but not that far away. Very uh, interesting. Go, go ahead, Don. Yeah, I, I, first of all, I a thousand percent agree with what Peter just said. And then the other thing is, in, I'm a big fan of the second machine age, and it talks about how the combinatory elements of technology are the reason that the pace uh, of the increase in sophistication of technology is, is moving forward so quickly. That's a, that's a fabulous example of that. And, and, I, and again, I think he's spot on. So, Anybody else? I have a, go ahead, John. Yeah, uh, Bonnie, uh, Don, and this really gets back to, to your last point, you know, talking about just smarter buildings and the great technologies that are already available, um, whether it's controlling heating, ventilating, cooling, sunshades, uh, you, you name it. Uh, the one thing we haven't really done yet is found a way to collect all of that data from some really smart buildings that are out there now. So to your point, Peter, uh, and it does feel like we're, we're close to passing through that portal. If we can start to exhaust all that data, uh, it, it, it just, it's mind boggling, you know, where that could really take us. And to the point of self-driving cars, Bonnie, you talked about the Jetsons. Uh, yes. we'll, uh, we'll get those self-driving or hovering cars yet uh, in our lifetime. So 
Well, I just want to make a sidebar on that. We can squeeze in one more quick prediction from you, John, but there's sure. a, an engineer at Boston University who, with his colleagues, is working on having self-driving cars learn from other cars and from people. And if you've ever lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, as I did, and you know where they have the, the roundabouts, where mm -hmm. five roads come into one, you know how dangerous it is to drive there. But they're up to a 92% success rate where they're training these cars to, with the algorithms they start with, which are created by people, to take in that data, Peter, and learn from what the car is experiencing on the road with the people, with the other cars, and self-teach through their own machine learning and bring the data back into the car. They're up to a 92% safety rate. Of course, we're not going to go in those autonomous cars until they're about 99.9. .9. If then, I don't know what the insurance rates will be on that, but that's another show. John, I want to see if we can squeeze in one more quick prediction. We've got four minutes left to the show. I'm going to give you two minutes. Decentralized sure. energy grids and virtual power, point, power plants. Power systems will become fully decentralized in the future and regulated through VPP virtual power plants. Why don't you quickly unpack this for us? John, two minutes. Yeah, Go. sure, sure. Yeah, this is, a, this is a really exciting area, I think, at least I, I feel so. Uh, and in, in our world of trying to create cleaner energy um, and more sustainable energy, uh, I do think we're seeing some really great things with VPP uh, and really just creating this network of decentralized power generation, whether it's wind or solar or heat and power, um, the combination uh, and the power that that can bring um, to uh, really help with resiliency. We touched on that at the very beginning and, uh, you know, maybe some of those concerns over uh, climatic events that hit big cities. Um, but I think VPP is going to be that next generation beyond microgrids and some of the other technologies that are out there. Uh, we know Tesla is already playing around with that in California where uh, with, with uh, you know, from residential units where they've got battery storage uh, for their Tesla cars, they're trying to grab, you know, all that unused energy back into the California power grid. So I do, I do think uh, the here and now is coming very close on that, but certainly at large scale, part of the big infrastructure plan is great improvement to our transmission system of electricity. Uh, we'll probably just make a dent with this first infrastructure bill, but I do think we're going to hear a lot more about VPP um, in the coming, in the coming couple of years. Thank you. And making a dent is a good start. Who did we leave? We lost. We lost. There you are, Peter. Peter dropped for a second. Everybody, I want to thank you all so much. Very interesting predictions. Round of applause for Don Deloach. Don, thank you for bringing everybody together. Always appreciate your thought leadership leadership. Your leadership of the thought leaders. There you go, Don. Don's my hero for that. Uh, Brenna, so delighted to finally get to meet you. Peter, we're going to work on that stuff thing and, and exhaust data. We got it. John, thank you for, for everybody for your brilliance. I need you all. And thank you to Aaron Keller, my engineer. And again, a shout out to, to Jeff, who we miss. And thank you to Arm, our sponsor for the show. I want you all to wag your finger. This is my closing here. We have a, a Brenna, Peter, come on, wag your finger. If somebody says to you, the future road's already here, on the count of three, you're already going to join me and say, no, no, no. One, two, three. No, oh, no, 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 no. That was yesterday's future. Today's future hasn't happened yet, and we're all here to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Bye, LinkedIn. Bye, bye Facebook. One. Bye, Voice America. Don't go away. We're going to take a picture. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.